0: Deceptions Podcast. After all the huffing and puffing about how modern life has no space for the magical, it turns out that we need something that collectively says there are mysteries we don't understand, but we can still assent to, even in the public square. Imagine a DeLorean time machine car appears outside your house this year, and you get in and you're told that you're going to 2052 to see what the future looks like. You arrive, and you see what it actually looks like 30 years from now. Do you want that future? What would you do to get there, or to get away from that future? That's what we're going to find out. How about this? You could hear it snap. The noise bounced out across the flagstones and the stained glass as the Lord Chamberlain broke a stick, placing it on Queen Elizabeth's coffin as it was about to be lowered into its final resting place at Windsor Castle. After all that magnificent pomp and ceremony of the funeral, it was a small but significant gesture right at the end. The snapping of the Wand of Office, as it was called. That's right, it's not a magical wand, but a symbolic token of the Queen's reign and her right to rule. In the past, the wand was used by the Lord Chamberlain to give people a gentle tap if they were getting out of hand in the monarch's court. Breaking it, in this case by Andrew Parker, not Harry Potter, was the last signal that the sovereign's reign was over. It was buried with her. That snap was like a little jolt of reality, snapping us into the post-Queen Elizabeth world. Yes, this thing, whatever it is, really is over. Some might like to say it snapped us out of a form of delusion, the casual acceptance that the monarch of England rules under the overarching reign of God, the true King. We were snapped back, so to speak, into the modern world in which ideas such as gods and kings and queens are stories best left for the children, to Harry Potter, and for the adults, Game of Thrones perhaps. The real world, the world of Instagram, global travel, democracy, cheap white goods and Amazon packages arriving on the doorstep, just won't allow for wands of office and all that hierarchy. The real world today is the world we can see. It's a different way of looking at the real world than in the past but we've come to the collective and unspoken conclusion that the visible world is the only reality available to us and therefore the only one that really matters. The unseen world, if it even exists, has little to do with everyday life. So in this story, the snapping of the wand buries more than a monarch. It's the final burial of outdated ideas about worship, church, state and God. The burial of a hierarchical world in which the visible powers are a reflection of the invisible ones. And we say, roll on republics. Those nations have long since jettisoned the myths of the past. We're all grown up now. And yet, what do we find? Kind of the opposite, really. Here in my home country of Australia, the idea of a republic, once touted as inevitable as we became more modern, seems to be on the wane. And it's not just sentiment following the funeral. It seems we're happy to think of an alternative but not just any alternative to the British monarch being our head of state. Give us something that's got the worth and weight of the office, we seem to be saying. Give us something that matters. Give us another story as compelling as the one ended by the snapping of the wand. So where's it all going? Well, for a start, I think we don't know. The very fact that even in Australia, Republicans are hesitant about which way to jump demonstrates the problem. Just as a global pandemic was predicted a couple of decades ago, yet none of us were prepared for it, so too this post-Queen Elizabeth age. We've been circling it for years, waiting for the monarch to pass. We were predicting it, but not prepared for it. And there's been a lot of talk about the loss of meaning and purpose in our modern world since she died, the sense of aimlessness that's arisen in the past decades, the rootlessness, especially among the young. But we've been given nothing tangible to replace it, a corporate sense of meaning and purpose. That's right, we need a corporate sense, don't we? Disney, along with every other bit of pop culture, has been busy telling us individually to look into your heart or to be yourself. All without realising that to do so, we actually have to have reference points, signposts and signals that our modern West has been busily burning down or tearing down in recent years. That great philosopher-poet of the Western world, Taylor Swift, put it brilliantly in a recent commencement service at high school. How did she put it? I know it can be really overwhelming figuring out who to be and when, who you are and how to act in order to get where you want to go. I'll have some good news for you. It's totally up to you. I also have some terrifying news for you. It's totally up to you. The huge increase in anxiety and the long waiting lists at counselling clinics suggests that Taylor Swift is more right when she says it's terrifying news. Good news? Well, there's another word for that, isn't there? Gospel. Taylor Swift has articulated the gospel for the modern age an age in which we are all kings and queens of our own hearts. And you know what? It's terrifying. The French writer, Michel Welbeck, constantly points this out in his searing novels set in postmodern, secular France. He's a modern-day prophet, a licentious, libertarian, hedonistic, oversexed prophet, but a prophet nonetheless. In fact, his novel submission about the threat of radical Islam and French culture was published the very day of the Charlie Headbow massacre, by Islamic extremists. And his next novel, Serotonin, was not a reflection after the event of France's violent farmer protests. He wrote it before those events happened. He saw it coming. So it's worth hearing this hardcore hedonistic atheist when he says things like this. The church tried to conform itself to the world at a moment when the world was becoming uglier. His beef with the Catholic church in his own country was that it was too much like the world these days. It looked at modernism in the face and blinked at exactly the wrong time and tried to behave more like the world. Instead of playing up difference, it played sameness. Instead of leaning into faith and ancient mysteries, it leaned into sight and modern anxieties. And these are not just religious observations. We're in a stage of history in which the past has not simply been exposed for its crimes but expunged for its crimes. Statues disappear, never to be talked of again. Books are banned or burned. Because why? Because we're leaving the past behind and heading towards, well, heading towards what exactly? The Queen was like our grandmother, or great-grandmother perhaps, equal doses of history, stoicism, duty and joy. And grandmothers love their wayward grandchildren, nonetheless, for all that waywardness. And wayward grandchildren despite their waywardness know the road back home because of their grandmothers even should they choose never to take that road well now the road is gone and we see this inability to carve out a clear path in the current reassessment of the sexual revolution of the past 60 years in want of any other descriptor the boomer generation was sung into existence by its poets and its rock stars lured into the fact as the song says, that this was the dawning of the age of Aquarius, a new time altogether. And as the Gershwin number from Porgy and Bess said, as it dismantled this current world, it ain't necessarily so. The things that you're liable to read in the Bible, it ain't necessarily so. This was deconstruction time, and that song was covered by rock bands throughout the 60s and 70s, before the big sound given to it in my youth by Bronsky Beat, do you remember them? A sexually charged, homoerotic and politically motivated group led by the indomitable and outrageously talented Jimmy Somerville. Sex and politics was set to change in this new world. Biblical orthodoxy was set to fall. A new age was being ushered in. What age exactly? Well, the album title containing the single gives it away, The Age of Consent. And here we are 50 years later, lamenting that all we have left to us when it comes to sex is consent. And who even knows what that is? It truly is the age of consent and it doesn't feel all that liberating. With book titles such as Louise Perry's The Case Against the Sexual Revolution, questions are now being asked about this new modern world that was supposed to liberate us from all the crazy dogma. Men, says Perry, were the winners of the sexual revolution. Though given the scourge of online porn and its devastating effect on relationships, winning the sexual revolution is proving to be a pyrrhic victory. And speaking of revolution, what about political revolution? When so much of the activism in our political world is predicated on the need for permanent revolution, well that's just a turn off to most people. They become exhausted. People who are struggling to pay power bills, just coming out of global lockdowns. These things will affect us for years to come somebody said ain't nobody got time for that <laughs> and if you do have time for that and you do have time to superglue yourself to the major arterial roads heading into your city to protest something you're more likely to be told wearily get a job than you are to be philosophically challenged yet amidst all of that let's be careful as new york pastor tim keller is oft to remind us Those of us who are prone to slip on our rose-tinted glasses and long for a kinder, gentler past, perhaps let a few things slide by that we didn't want to think about. But what are people saying now? Christianity? Oh, I remember that. That's when blacks had to sit at the back of the bus. We're not going back there. And here in Australia, on the day of mourning for the Queen, we saw First Nations people burning the flag and scorning her death while news came out that at least one elite-level sports team was subjecting its young Indigenous players to what can only be described as racial profiling. I agree with and disagree with Australian Muslim commentator Walid Ali in equal doses. He's a great writer, and I've got to hand it to him because he's always pushing the limits of what we imagine might be possible in the modern world. Now, he's a Republican, but in a recent Sydney Morning Herald article, he made this brilliant observation. If you're going to ask Australians to forego the monarchy, you're going to have to replace it with something more fitting, but still magical. Did you hear that? More fitting, but still magical. That's it, yes. Ali is right. After all the huffing and puffing about how modern life has no space for the magical, how the only things that are real are the things we can see, it turns out that we need something magical. Not just privately, not just our own personal seance or tarot car reading, but something that collectively says there are mysteries we don't understand, but we can still assent to, even in the public square. That, as we look at the most powerful republic ever known, the United States of America, all we see is increasing dissolution, bitterness and decay, factional infighting, and leaders of both parties are significantly older than King Charles III when he took the throne. Those leaders have been in power since my generation was born. It feels like what we call a Clayton's monarchy, all power and no glory. The monarchy you get when you don't have a monarchy. And increasingly, it seems in our political space, no one's got time for that either. And then we get a grey-suited president, chosen by politicians, receiving people in an office built with Danish furniture in it and a carefully curated wall of art. That just doesn't seem that magical. It screams out imminence or immediacy or a locked in world in a world that is crying out for transcendence and something magical. I think that's the Republican movement's Achilles heel here in my home country of Australia, and I suspect in other parts of the world as well. Meanwhile, two other sovereignless states, Russia and China, are setting about building their case for the future, and it's decidedly non-transcendent. Does anyone really want that? So what can we do about this? Well, lest this sound like merely an exercise in despair, perhaps it's the rising tension we're feeling in the Western world that should give us some hope. Perhaps we start by asking ourselves some hard questions as a society. Questions like, where is that optimism that accompanied the idea that we could get rid of the old moral and ethical frameworks and somehow be liberated? Perhaps, too, we need to put this modern, uglier world, as Mikhail Welbeck says, under the same microscope it placed the older world of kings and queens. Why is there so little consensus around what should replace the monarchy? How might we start that conversation? Well, perhaps it's as simple as maybe joining a reading group devoted to books that speak about there being something else, something more than we can see. Or if you're not a reader, then film and ask yourself why so much modern film is devoted to worlds and universes we can't see or access but are tantalisingly close, just next door if we could access them. But more pointedly than all that, Perhaps you need to ask yourself some individual questions. If you don't have a so-called transcendent view of our existence, why not? How did God fall off the radar for you, and why? Why perhaps did you tick no religion on the last census? How sustainable is a godless existence, and how honest are you about what is replacing it in your life? I met a young woman recently, married with two children. and. She'd moved from not believing anything about God at all or a world above us to becoming a follower of Jesus. And I was genuinely curious. How? Why? What did it feel like? felt light, she said, as if a burden had been lifted. I think there's a dozen songs in Christianity about that. And she said it felt like that in her high-performance job, she was no longer constantly seeking approval from others. She felt like she had the approval thing locked away because of Jesus, and it made her work better. If in this non-transcendent world, we're always looking horizontally and only horizontally for approval, well, that's fraud. Taylor Swift is right. It's terrifying. Now, none of that is to say that the transcendent, or God, actually exists. But it's interesting that the new atheists, the likes of Richard Dawkins, etc., who was so confident they'd gotten rid of God, or at least the need for him, don't seem to hold as much sway in people's imaginations as they once did. Even Dawkins seems to be atheist in a very Christian sort of way. And that celebrated side of the bus advertising campaign from a few years back that he ran? It said, There's probably no God, now stop worrying and enjoy your life. Yet here we are, a decade later crippled by waves of anxiety coming out of a global pandemic, going into a lengthy protracted war in Europe, and worry is at record levels. At the very time that God has exited the public square, we're more worried than ever, and it's worth asking ourselves why. As Walid Ali observed, you're going to have to replace this world that the Queen represented with something still magical. Perhaps the best thing to do is to sit in that space, let the dust settle for a while in this latest post-Elizabethan age, and ask ourselves, what will replace it? exceptions.